This is getting better and better. So, uh, Ken, typically we ask our guests a question of what's inspiring them today. Um, so what's inspiring Ken Zilstra uh, today? Minnesota summer. Um, Ooh. It's, it's, it's the, some they of call the that mosquito days. weather, right? Oh my, oh my gosh. Some of the longest days of the year. <laughs> the water temps are 80 plus degrees. Oh my gosh. Sunny. It's, it's a little beastie for like midday activities unless you're in the water or in yeah. the shade but yeah it's just it's minnesota and it's all of its majesty right now so that's that's what got me up this morning to get on my bike and that's what i'm gonna say goodbye to um the end of the day with probably a beautiful sunset yeah that's awesome i i miss those minnesota summers they're beautiful i i get eaten alive out there though during that period of time where the, the uh, mosquitoes are just ravenous you know, there's the kind of the evening hours and then early mornings, like I was in some heavily uh, uh, forested areas today and I slowed down and the mosquitoes were getting on me, but um, it's nothing a little bit of uh, deep woods off can handle and it's yeah, there just, you go. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's minuscule compared to other adversities that one can face, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You do get used to it. Yeah. Well, and with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve podcast. Uh, my co-host, W. Miles Riley, is out today, but uh, we are excited to have Ken Zilstra with us. Uh, Ken is a guy, I think, that's going to disrupt and evolve your soul because of all of the amazing things that he has done. So Ken is a 59-year-old athlete that participates in ultra bike racing events that are over 100 miles in distance. Ken says, typically, I'm drawn towards multi-day and self-supported races that include an element of risk and extreme conditions. Ken has completed numerous races, uh, including his most recent, which is the Tour Divide 2021, a 2,479.9 miles from Canada and up in Montana to New Mexico and the Mexico border. Ken has also competed in the Iditarod Trail Invitational, the Arrowhead Ultra 135, the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race, and has done multiple 100-miler gravel, uh, graveler, is that how you say it? Or gravel yeah, events? Gravel. Yeah, gravel, gravel, gravel grinders, events. gravel races. Yeah, Ken, Ken is also, or excuse me, Ken is sponsored by... Uh, I don't even know how to say this, Ken. I don't want to butcher it. Otso Bikes. Otso Bikes. Thank you. Wolf Tooth Components, uh, Terrine Tires, Wahoo Fitness, and Relight Hydration. Some other fun facts about Ken is he's a proud uh, father of two awesome teenage daughters and a beautiful wife, Jamie. Uh, he loves the outdoors all year long. Worked at Lifetime Fitness for over 20 years loves to build things, is active in the bike community and in his local church. Uh, Ken describes himself as a chatty social guy on the trails and during races and is very active on Instagram and Facebook. So Ken Zilstra, welcome to the Evolve podcast. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you. And, and we're coming uh, right off of an amazing accomplishment. Now, if we're being honest, I know that coming onto this podcast is by far the greatest achievement of your life, right? It, it's it's definitely up there and will definitely make you, my yeah. race resume. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, this, this, like Steve, like many events, I, I'll be honest, was a little nervous for it. So it's a little bit of start line nerves happening right now. So I'm sure we'll be able to work <laughs> yeah. through those uh, yeah. Well, you're a great conversationalist, but you really, um, you, you just completed the 2021 tour divide and that's a pretty decent accomplishment too. I'd have to say. Oh, thank you very much. It, it was, <laughs> it was the biggest of my bucket list, uh, items that, that I've been, you know, kind of dreaming about fearing for having anxiety over, but, you know, a, a bunch of things came into play that I was able to, uh, take the time and and um, uh, participate and, and complete um, that amazing event. Yeah, what an amazing thing to me to be riding that long. I mean, I, I almost twenty five hundred miles. 
Um, so it, it was really fun for me to watch you do this on social media and just get a few updates here and there, um, both on your account and your wife's account. She would post about it. But you also had a really cool thing happen along the trail uh, that your daughter made a surprise trip to see you along the way. Yes. And, and again, I, again, just to back up just a half step, you know, my family, you know, when you're doing these kind of events, it's, it's a whole family event. Um, I can imagine. Because there's, there's a support system and, and a support, uh, you know, mechanism from your family that, that really helps you and, and contributes to your success. So, you know, um, there was, hundred percent buy-in from my wife and, and both daughters, both Ruby and Zoe. Um, but yeah, just, um, it was incredibly surprising. Um, it was one of many days that was filled with highs and lows. And mm. that day had a little more lows than highs. We, uh, were, were in the midst of some really big climbs and got hit by a couple of, um, pretty, pretty, uh, consistent rain day to day after day, but this day was uh, a little more so at the higher elevation, it was colder. It was, it seemed, it just seemed to cut you to the bone and we were making our way off, off a pretty good descent and then up yet another climb in the rain, in the sandy mud. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I saw a vehicle in front of us um, and the vehicle kind of made a U-turn and then they backed up and then out jumped uh, someone in a raincoat. Um, couldn't even really see who it was, but they were running towards me. And, um, and I thought to myself, okay, who would be in the middle of Colorado? And a few names that locals that live there, I thought a, a wife of a good friend of mine and, and some sure. lifetime employees. Sure enough, as I got closer, I recognized the jacket and more importantly, I recognized the smiling face. So my daughter Zoe had, had, had woken up from, she lives in San Diego, um, had mm. a buddy with a buddy pass who works for the airline and, and orchestrated uh, quite the challenge for herself to get there, find me um, with my wife uh, following the tracker to figure out where I was on the course. And it was, it wasn't, it was in the middle of nowhere on a gravel road. And there she is, uh, big old- Just in the middle of Colorado. Yeah. And she tracks you down. Wow. So it, <laughs> it was, uh, I cried tears of joy. Oh, um, I can amazing. imagine. Uh, you know, it, but it talk about a mental boost and, uh, she had a, a bag full of cheeseburgers from McDonald's, which, oh, you know, wow. which isn't, it isn't normal staple for us, but oh my gosh, on the trail, uh, when things are in short supply, it was amazing. And she happened to buy six and, there were six of us riding together at that very moment. So it was wow. all things aligned in, in, yeah. in, in the heavens, if you will. But it was quick because uh, we had to keep moving. It was raining. It was nasty. And she had to catch a plane to get back home. So uh, it, was, it, was really, uh, it was really amazing. And, you know, there were multiple text messages and, and encouraging words I received from all my family and my friends throughout that really kept me going. And that was, that was certainly something that just made, it just resonated with me and the people I was with for, for days on end. In fact, I've been exchanging test messages with some guys that I finished with and they're, they were still talking about that moment where um, my daughter went out of her way to, to, to do that. What a, what a commitment and what, what a, what an act of love. Yeah, what a powerful impact. And I, I want to hear more about the race, but I want to pause for a second on this because you are a very active father. And one of the things I remember a story, you and I um, were sitting and talking one day and you were telling me a story about Zoe and how you were trying to help her to get the right mindset for um, uh, water skiing that she was competing mm-hmm. in. And you walked through this whole story of how you guys woke up in the morning and you made her some breakfast and you got her going and said, okay, let's go out and let's clear the mind and let's practice. And just over the years, Ken, I mean, you've, you've always struck me as this guy that has been so involved in your kids' life uh, or their lives. And now to hear that story, that really cuts deep to me that the reciprocation of that love is now coming back. And here's your daughter that flies from San Diego to the middle of nowhere to find you and spend a few moments with you, bring you some cheeseburgers on the, on the trail. Wow. What a cool story. 
um, I think it just goes to show what being a an involved father uh, does. Well, I think you know there's there's no greater honor and privilege and responsibility than to be a parent. I mean, that's a it's like being a manager. It's like being a mentor. It's yeah. something that all those things I do not take lightly, and uh, it's so rewarding. And uh, with both my kids. You know, we go through stages and eras and activities and sports that we're involved in, um, civic things that we're involved in, whether it's our faith or, or family-related things. It's just really, yeah. I feel really honored to be a part of a really close family. And a lot of that, you know, comes from my wife as well, who kind of, you know, not kind of, but definitely is a, is a drumbeat for our family with love and, and respect. Well, you guys are very committed to being active parents. And I think that that's one of the things I've always loved and respected about both of you. Um, talk a little bit about what it means to you to be an active father. Well, you know, I think like, like being an active father or being an active uh, husband or, or whatever that role is, I think it's about balance, really. Um, mm. it, it's really being involved in your kids' lives, your children's lives, um, when it's the right time, right? You know, not not being that helicopter parent, but being yeah. there when they need you, being there when you think you need you be, they, they might need you being on the periphery, if you will. Um, and then just, you know, acting with love and respect and kindness and treating them. You know, I, I had kind of a pre a pre-course for being a parent and I coached skiing for 10 years and had an opportunity oh, right. yeah. to coach a, a lot of um, junior athletes in freestyle skiing. And it gave me a, it was a, a good test run to connect with and, you know, hopefully impact in a positive way people's lives. So, you know, like I, like I said, I had kind of an internship for 10 years from that standpoint, but really for mm -hmm. me, it's, 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 it starts with, not a task or not something you have to do. It's something you want to do. And I've just been lucky enough that my kids have been really, they're, they're just fun. I mean, we get to play and we get to hang out. And my wife kind of jokes a little bit about when the kids were real young. Um, I didn't quite have that connection, but not, I definitely didn't have the connection I have with them now. Um, mm. And she jokes about, I get to be the fun parent, if you will. Um, and I've just, I, I play with my kids, I hang out with them, um, but try to do it in a way that's, you know, obviously setting the tone and the respect and the guidance for hopefully things that will resonate with them and, and they'll take into their adult life or actually they're in their adult life, but as they transition out of our home and into their independent adult life. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you, you've certainly taught them by example, the fact that your daughter would jump on a plane and meet you in the middle of nowhere just for a moment to show you that she supports you as her father. I think that just goes to show that your activity as a, as a parent has really paid off. And those are going to be lessons that they will have for the rest of their life. Parenthood is, is, is such an important, probably the most important role of leadership that I think we ever have. And I think that uh, if there is one uh, you know, thing that's gone downhill in America over the past 20 or 30 years is fathers being involved and having that role, especially in their daughter's lives to, to raise them in a way that makes them strong. And I think that um, it's great to hear what you're doing and how your example has then allowed your daughters or facilitated your daughter's strength and their love uh, that they're now giving back to you. So very beautiful. Thank, thank you, Steve. So I want to continue on, Ken, with it, talking about this amazing um, race that you did. I mean, uh, almost 2,500 miles. Um, and you talked a little bit about the elements that you had to deal with. I was blown away when I saw some of those pictures, the mud that you guys accumulated on your tires and throughout the whole, um, you know, on your bike, on your, <laughs> your clothes. Talk about how the uh, how, how difficult the elements were as you went through this uh, twenty five. I'm just I'm rounding it up. I'm calling yeah, it twenty five hundred. We'll all right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just call it twenty five. Um, it felt yeah. like a little more, but but I tell you what, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, um, every every day was a new a new set of challenges and a new set of like amazing joy filled you know moments from that standpoint. But really. You know, the, the elements, um, 
the, to back up. So I felt like I had um, a bit of a crash course, but an abbreviated and really specific amount of training for my fitness. You know, I was getting, you know, over 300 miles a weekend, uh, over 25 hours of training time, plus yoga, plus free weights. Um, mm. So my, from a fitness standpoint, I've, I, I trained like I have for a lot of other shorter events where sometimes there's, there's the fitness takes the, the headline, if you will, you know, core to, Got you. Um, and, and many times I've, I, the many times I've done Leadville and, and been in, in the Colorado mountains, I've known the weather to be sporadic, but never, and ever changing, but never the amount of rain that we had, the heat and the rain. So for starters in Montana, it was over a hundred degrees every day. Um, wow. But there was so much surface water, cold streams, lakes, rivers. We were able to pull really cold water for our hydration. And once in a while, take off our, our, our shirt and throw it in the stream or take a dip. One time we skinny dipped in a, in a, in a pond. Nope. And it felt so good. <laughs> That's great. And, oh, I can um, imagine. But then we got into Colorado. Those didn't make it to the Instagram account. Was that the paid Instagram account? No, 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 that was that. No, that was off the record. Yeah. That was just, that was me and mother nature and God. That's, That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, but then, um, and, and that, that, that continued into Wyoming um, predominantly as well. And, uh, but then once we got down into Colorado, those afternoon showers that you count on happened but they started a little earlier and they ended a little later. And sometimes through the night, it just rained a ton. And uh, wow. it just, um, I guess I wasn't mentally prepared for riding in the rain sometimes for a majority of the day. And just- um, the, So hours on end, you're in the rain. Hours and hours on end. And wow. what happens okay. is the then the trail, goes to heck. Um, you go from riding on rocks and, and tree roots and um, gravel to where now you've got washout, you've got mud. Um, mm. And then it starts to impact the performance of your bike. Um, it makes it pretty, you know, pretty sketchy on your descents. And then the climbs became difficult and it went from Client, you know, riding up hills to riding up hills as in the lowest gear you could 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 manage, to pushing your bike uh, at three miles an hour to then the tires would start to accumulate so much mud that then the tires wouldn't even rotate. Wow. So you know that you know you start to run the numbers in terms of you know logistically. Um, I was going to resupply, let's say one in one case, you know, there was, we we're only 25 miles from a resupply. Um, we were running really low on water, um, which wasn't awful. We could have, you know, obviously pulled more from the stream we did. Um, but then food, you know, so, you, you know, averaging 11, 12 miles an hour, all of a sudden now we're, we're, we're pushing a bike uh, or carrying a bike because the wheels won't turn too at two point miles an hour, 2.1, wow. 1.7. So I start running the math and the numbers and think, oh, my goodness, I'm now 20 hours away from resupply rather than two hours. At, and you you're know, still burning a ton of calories at this point. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so it's so not like the thought, caloric burns going yeah, down. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, the amount of distance and the amount of time is increasing, but your caloric burn is still staying really yeah. high. Wow. So that, and that just, you know, if it were one day, it was, you know, you just deal with it and work through it. And, and, and frankly, out there, you deal with everything. That's what, you, you know, that's what you do. And, but it was day after day. And, and I'll admit some days it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to bed wet. I'm getting up wet. Everything mm. is drenched. Your drivetrain on your bike uh, is trashed. Um, you're having trouble shifting. Your wheels won't turn. Your brakes don't work you know there's there's a lot of things where you just had to kind of you know once in a while we drop our bikes partially in a stream and take a take a brush to them and just try to get as much of the muck off as you could but then again you know right on the other side of it at stormwood pass and give you a rainbow that 
and a sunset around along the mountains that you can't describe in words or or recreate in pictures. So, you know, yeah, he, Mother Nature gave and took at times, but also gave of uh, so much uh, on the, on the flip side. That's amazing. So talk about, I mean, with these elements, you, you've experienced extreme elements. Iditarod is, a, is an extremely difficult race, but it's all cold. It's, it's freezing, mm-hmm. right? You're in the yeah. snow and, uh, yep. and you ride in the snow quite a bit during the wintertime. Um, so talk about how this race was different than some of the, uh, the races that you've done before. What did, what did the heat and the mud and all that, how did that compare to what you've done in the past? Well, the, it was just such a broad range, you know, from a hundred and I think 106 was the, the highest temp that I, that I registered and then down into the teens, you know, um, mm. where we're going through storms where it's, you know, snowing, it's hail, it's thunder, it's lightning. So it was the broad range where when we've, you know, with that Iditarod, I mean, you may have a temperature range of maybe 30 degrees, um, sometimes all below zero. But it's consistent and you're but it's all cold for, yeah, yeah it's all cold and uh things maintain there's you know no there's no freeze and thaw it's just brutally cold all the time for that standpoint mm. but but at the end of the day and, and i really want to make sure that i'm i'm super clear on the fact that um that's what we signed up for you know that yeah, adversity yeah. that's what we signed up for that challenge and to be pushed to the limit and and then some and really that's part of why I, I do these type of events is is really pushing yourself mentally and emotionally um well beyond being pushed physically um although that happens but it's just really you know finding a way to make things happen and I'd always tell the tell the guys in my group you know they're you know where people would come and go in our group and we'd add people we'd lose people, we catch up to different individuals, but there are a few consistent riders and friends that I was with. And, and when things were really bad, I always would just say, Hey guys, um, we get to do this. Just remember, yeah. we get to do this. We signed up for <laughs> this, chose we committed it. to this, we chose to do this and this is awesome. And we're getting yeah. our money's worth today. Um, wow. so, you know, that's, that's what I tried to really, um, resonate with myself, but you know, there was, there were mornings where, knowing what was ahead of us, the, the amount of vertical that we had to encounter, the, the descents, the dry desert areas without resources, without water supplies. There were some pretty, I think, how would I say, um, known parts of the, of the race course that were, were brutal. And those, some days there's a little anxiety in the morning when we'd be leaving camp or you know, leaving a, a town where there's running water and electricity and a bathroom with toilet paper and all the things that you kind of go without. So, but that's, that's what made it exciting and, and, uh, and rewarding at the end of each night when you just go into your, into your tent and lay on your sleeping pad and just fall asleep. I never had trouble falling asleep. I will say that. <laughs> I can imagine no sleeping pills while you're out there. No, sir. I, I think that the what, part of what amazes me about this whole story and what you did is life is challenging and it throws a lot of curveballs at us. But you went through just about every curveball imaginable. I mean, to go from teens up to uh, 106 degrees, you're going from mud to dry ground to everything possible. The weather is throwing everything at you. How did you prepare different? I know you mentioned that your fitness, you stayed fairly consistent with over 300 miles of training per week, but what what was different about your preparation for this than maybe some of the other races that you've done? I just, I think, um, I think my preparation was, I would, I would give myself a C in terms of the mental preparation. And I'm glad you asked that because I really didn't, I didn't think it would be this difficult. I really didn't. Um, uh, not, it was not so much mentally or physically, mentally, mentally difficult. It was, it was, I would say I've described it to others as 10 times more difficult than I thought it would be. And what I prepared for, um, but it was also 10 times more amazing. Um, I had joy filled tears every day of that ride, especially at the beginning, I was just really choked up and humble and so grateful to, my family and, and to God and all the things that, 
that let me be there. Um, so, but it also, like I said, was, um, it was just, you know, at the end of each day, you were, you were ready to be done. Um, and we'd start, we'd, we'd try to get up at three, um, break camp and be clicked in by 4am. So we'd leave in the dark, we'd ride through the day and then we don't typically make camp or try to find a place to sleep, which I can tell you about in a little bit because um, there were some interesting spots, but um, about 10, 1030, try to get some food in us and go to bed. So, you know, we, we turned and burned pretty, you know, with shorter nights from that standpoint, but that. So 4 a.m. until about 1030 at night. Yeah. So, and wow. it wasn't because like at the end of the day, like I was cramping or my legs were sore or. I mean, they were tired for sure, but it was more just you're physically ready to just be, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, I can imagine. Especially yeah. in the evenings and the mornings were so magical. Something about, you know, once you get a little instant coffee in you or whatever you had next to, next to my, my, my sleeping pad and a little bit of nutrition, the mornings were so magical and the 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 sunrises the pre-dawn the pre-dawn sunrises and the critters that would be out and there's just something so promising about the beginning of a day that just kept me going um from that yeah standpoint. so got a little you, off you've always tables. you've always been a, a dawn patrol guy you've always been the guy that likes to hunt for those sunrises and you've you've been up early and chasing those things mm -hmm. so if you if you say you gave yourself a c is that right on the on the preparation Correct, on the preparation so, so um what would you do different then yeah, well, thank you. And I, I forgot my, my, my tail end of that. So with that, I pretty quickly learned the hard way through, I would say the first five days of some agony and disappointment that, you know, I'm, I'm a very planful, deep, all my life has a plan to it, has had a plan. And, you know, you plan for everything and, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, this plus that plus this will 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 become the, the final goal if you will and specific timelines you know like the first five days we were planning on doing x amount of miles stopping for water here resupply there and we'd camp you know at xyz town um well mother nature's in charge and, and your schedule is not in charge <laughs> so there were mm -hmm. so many variables where we were falling short of our initial goals the first few days, you know, first five days. So I, I think what I quickly became, became aligned with the fact that we're going to set goals and objectives for the day and, and, and for the week, if you will, but know that we have to ad lib a little bit. We have to be able to call audibles. We have to, you know, you know, we, we would go, we're like, well, we're going to sleep in this town. And even though it's 11 at night and we're 40 miles away from that town. <laughs> so it's like, well, <laughs> we're going to sleep in this ditch <laughs> and we're yeah. going to sleep in this farmer's field, or we're going to sleep in this dugout uh, of a ball field, or we're going to sleep on a park bench oh, wow. or underneath the park bench, you know, <laughs> we're going to sleep wherever we can, when we have to, and we're going to go. So you were the guy I saw sleeping under the park bench. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I yeah, slept yeah. on top of one too. <laughs> Um, and, and was happy to do so. Cause it was, I, I think there was a, like a gazebo over the top. We slept in a teepee oh, yeah. one night. Um, in a teepee. Slept in wow. people's backyards. We slept in the, in the back of a bar, uh, in, in wow. one particular time. We, we slept in a rodeo, uh, arena, um, uh, seating area. You know, so we would sleep wherever we could. <laughs> That's we awesome. To. So that was my, I would call that OJT, on the job training, yeah, uh, or on yeah. the bike training, where then I, I realized that we weren't in charge. We had a general idea of where we were, of definitely where we we're going, but when we'd get there would definitely be up to Mother Nature and the conditions of the course. Okay, so I've, I, I've got a favor to ask. At some point, I want a list of all the different types of places you slept in. I'm going to try and match that. So if you slept in a ditch, I'm going to go sleep in a ditch. Okay. If you slept oh, under a park bench. I would... <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, we slept under, in a, underneath the, uh, in a ravine underneath the bridge. Um, wow. I got to sleep in tents. We actually slept in a couple of 
hotels and motels. Okay. Um, All right. Um, there were some really generous people on the trail that cooked us meals and we, you know, you know, so we had some luxurious cheeseburgers and, and milkshakes and, and, you know, like a bed with a pillow and running water and all kinds of fun stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it was the places that, and it seemed that the places that we didn't want to end up ended up being the most amazing. For example, um, we were in Wyoming in this huge high elevation basin that was, there was simply just a big, huge ranch um, with cattle gates and cows everywhere and all kinds of antelope. And we fell way, way short of a campground that we wanted to end up at. So we were kind of crabby and not happy with the fact that we were just fell short of our goal and objective for the day. And it was late mm. at night. It was, we were tired and exhausted, but because of that, the next morning we woke up and I peer out the end of my tent and literally between our tents, there's a herd of antelope that are just, oh wow, you know, pretending like we weren't even there and they're jumping around and kind of being playful. And I could hear them kind of grunting and making noises. And, and I got up and brushed my teeth and kind of broke camp and they, they scattered a little bit, but they were more interested in us than, than, than running away. Um, so that was, we would have never had that experience in the campground and it was just a yeah, amazing yeah. sunrise that followed. It was pretty cool. It's amazing how sometimes the detours of life become the most beautiful things that we experience, isn't it? That's so true. And it's such a, a life, a life lesson that, yeah. you know, you just, you know, you have to, you have to look to, the good and in, in, in the things that you hadn't planned on. Well, I want to talk again. I mean, you, you mentioned before cheeseburgers and milkshakes and all of these things. Now, when you're on a ride like this, it, it's, it's got to be about calories above all, right? Obviously you're going to try and take in as many good calories as you can, but you're burning so many calories that you just got to get calories in at any, any way you can. I remember seeing a picture that you posted about, cheeseburgers, milkshakes, cinnamon rolls, all sorts of things that you were eating. But I got to be honest with you. I didn't, I, I, when I saw a couple of pictures, I, I, as I'm scrolling through my feed, I didn't even recognize you. You had lost so much weight that I'm like, wait, I got, I had to do the thing where you zoom in. Oh. I was like, no, that's Ken. That yeah. is Ken. Holy cow. He's lost so much weight. Talk about the, the um, amount of food that you had to eat just to keep going. Well, yeah, you know, and that's a, that's a good point. And that began, that's something that I hadn't planned on. So um, yeah. I've had some friends and in reading other people's um, interpretation of, of doing the tour divide, um, they talked about all these huge meals and these diners and amazing breakfasts. And one of my buddies is saying, Hey, you have to have a piece of pie with every meal and, and all the, like, what was happening with our schedule was I think there was two things that were impacting our ability to, to reload, um, which, which I'll, I'll allude to, to, to get to your question, Steve, but um, there are a lot of towns that we came into that everything was closed. And um, sometimes we- So restaurant even, shops, cause yeah, you're getting there so late. Yeah. And I honestly think with what's, what's happening economically with restaurants in general and small oh, businesses, yeah. they're having trouble staffing. So there was there were less stores and less opportunities per town. Um, so food became became even more of a commodity, if you will. Um, and it's something that I think naturally, if 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 you don't, if you know it's going to be in short supply, I think that just mentally made me even want to eat more and 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 grab more. But we were we're trying to get to grocery stores where we could re you know resupply with healthier options, you know. Mm, calorie dense yeah. healthy options yep. um yep. but often really our go-to became uh gas stations you know um gas stations with just a very limited amount of food and um sometimes and, and very quickly we adopted uh taking on things like oh my gosh fruit pies <laughs> which oh my, <laughs> I, would, yeah. I love those as a but, kid <laughs> i know i did too but yeah. That was a long time ago. And just, yeah, not, not, just, not now as a, as yeah. a 45 year old, I can't eat that. Oh my so. gosh. And we were, we were buying <laughs> pints of pints of half and half. Um, oh, that's awesome. You know, and uh, yeah. so just, the so what, yeah. So we were literally eating 
and, you know, carrying almost, you know, we would, we do the math and, you know, you know, predictably we'd have a 110 mile day. We're averaging over hundred miles a day. Um, but let's say we got 110 miles, we have two resupplies. So, you know, you knew that, you know, would be moderate amounts of calories. I, I would always have a kind of an ongoing, ever evolving big bag of trail mix that mm. could be that I would add corn nuts and dried fruit to and almonds and cashews and everything uh, to it just to, and that was kind of my, my go-to snacky. And then we were buying uh, uh, slices of spam, which was super I saw that. portable. I was just going to ask about yeah, spam and crackers. Oh my gosh. Spam and crackers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's beans, awesome. um, eggs. We would also buy a lot of the frozen burritos and just okay. put them in our bags. And lo and behold, they weren't frozen much longer. And we'd eat them as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> 106 uh, degree weather, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, so we were, you know, I was literally eating probably as much as I possibly could and could carry. There were a couple of areas that um, there was a place called Pie Town, which again, only normally has multiple opportunities for food and resupply. And there was just one restaurant and uh, mm. I tried to buy a loaf of bread so I could make some sandwiches and they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, they, they wouldn't abide to that. And so we went to a convenience store and then, you know, resupplied, I think it was going to be, I think we had 36 hours of riding without food um, plus a storm hit. So that extended our, our ride time. Wow. But it turned out wow. as we got down the trail, a bunch of the food that we had purchased <laughs> and planned on eating was expired to the degree that it wasn't just un, like wasn't tasty. It was not edible. So we had to mm. throw away literally thousands of calories. Um, you know, you know, put it aside. We didn't throw away. Obviously, it's carry in, carry out. But uh, so that was kind of disheartening. But food became very, very like I like to eat. And that's I part of the enjoyment yeah. of doing a lot of riding and 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 fitness. Right. But. I became accustomed to eating anything that was in front of me um, and, and really de leaning towards unhealthy foods, but you know, it was, there were calories and, and that's really the kind of the route we went. But we also, we met people along the way that were campers and um, people, we call them trail angels that just happened to keep an eye on our spot tracker and they would, um, they would give us food or we went into one camp with, um, without any food and we didn't even have anything for breakfast. So we were going to be in a world of, of herd and, um, this camp host. So a lot of these, these state park camp and national park campgrounds have, have what are called hosts. And the mm -hmm. host came over yep. and introduced himself. He realized what we were doing and his, he and his wife, um, they made a pot of soup for us. Uh, it was chicken soup with some potatoes. And then they gave us this big bag of, salted peanuts. And I mean, we were like in heaven, um, oh, wow. that particular night, but it really got us through the next morning where, you know, we were climbing a pretty big peak on an empty stomach and until we got to a resupply in another town, but yeah, food was so, Yeah. Food's everything. I, I love how you're talking about the trail angels. That's something that I've heard multiple times for people who do long hikes, but I, I hadn't thought about it with, uh, with this bike uh, race that you did, um, you know, people that do like Pacific coast trail, uh, mm -hmm. they'll have trail angels, people that will help out. And I think that there, there's something about that that just proves the good nature of humanity. You know, if you turn on the news, you hear story after story about how divided we are, right? How, yeah. um, how much we don't like each other and how opposed to each other we are. But if you go live in the world, you don't see that very often. I mean, I can't I can't tell you the last time that I've had an argument with somebody about politics or um, just who we are as individuals. And really, when you strip it all down and you get out there on the trail, whatever it is that you're doing, you did the bike race. People are just by their very nature good, I think. And they are there and you you tell them something and they will jump in and say, Hey, I'm here for you. Let me help you out. Let me let me make you a pot of soup. Let me give you some stuff to get you going. I I've experienced that so many times in my life. I've experienced that recently that I just am amazed by the kindness of everyone around. 
Talk a little bit about that, because yeah. uh, I know you so, experienced that a lot along the way. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Steve, because I really, I think of there's about three pillars that are big takeaways for me that that forever will resonate with me. And that's exactly what you touched on. You know, for, for 25 and a half days, we were off the grid besides my posts on, on, uh, on social media, but I didn't watch the news. I didn't listen to the news. I didn't have any influence as to what is going what is going on according to media. Um, And, and instead I had the, the, the rare opportunity, Steve, to connect with, the people of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, the folks, the ranchers, the farmers, campers, um, people, the, you know, townsmen, you know, and, and women. And, and it was so reassuring, not just the, the pots of soup and, and the graciousness, of, but just the kindness on the trail where people were genuinely interested in what we were doing, um, wishing us luck, cheering for you, um, it was, it was so reassuring to know that, um, and, and this will, and I, I hope I can keep this for a long time, if not forever, that people are good. And you mm. hear so much about the people that are, I think that on the fringes on either side of whatever topic you want to bring up, which I certainly won't today, but people are just, I think wholeheartedly core good and, and, and people feel good doing acting kindly and, and being kind to other people. And uh, I just, you know, there were literally hundreds of situations where hundreds of situations where I saw that and, you know, ranchers stopping to check on us or giving us a warning that there was a a mean dog in front of us and to be careful Mm. or there um, even like game wardens warning us about grizzly bears that were, you know, running around and, and, and causing trouble. So yeah, it's, that's something that has renewed my faith in, in, in America and Americans that we're awesome. And there's a lot of awesome people that, that are in this country that are brothers and sisters to us. When they support you too, just to, like when they find out what you're doing, they're very supportive. I think that's the other thing that we don't see when we turn on the news, but we see it in real life that when you, so you're out on the trail, you're doing something that is pretty cool and people see that and they say, well, I want to support you. Maybe it's a kind word. Maybe it's uh, a pot of soup, whatever it is, but it's the supportive nature that I think we're missing. And if we focus on what we're being told relative to the negative, then we see that. And and I'm not saying that there aren't people who, you know, tear down other people because of their insecurities or the bike backbiting, or of course we know that that goes on, but I think by and large, the majority of, of the human population and the majority of America is loving and kind and supportive. Amen. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more And that. That's, that was, that was the gift that I'd never expected to receive. And I, like I yeah. said, I hope, it's, hope it's, it sets with me for, for an attorney. What a beautiful experience that you had to, to see that and also see the beauty of nature and experience some of those amazing things. Uh, you know, but Ken, prior to, I, to the tour divide, I mean, you were out uh, competing in all of these multiple 100 plus mile races. Uh, I did a rod, which is over 350 miles. And by my count, if I counted this correctly, you've done over 50 or 52, I think was the number I came up with, 100 mile races and events. Um, so talk to me about the spark to do this tour divide after you've done multiple 100 mile and multiple 350 mile events. What was it that made you say, all right, I'm going for 2,500? Well, you know, I've always, um, this has been a race and, and, and really it's a race, but it's an event and a commitment Mm. it's you know a lot of the 100 mile races i've done in shorter races they're races there's it's a race and it's you against the clock it's you against who's in front of you it's you against potential people that may or may not be on the podium with you or behind you or it's a race and um once you get into the unsupported uh self-supported events where the iditarods the um the the Baja divide that we did and and uh, Arrowhead and and certainly sort of it's it's there's a bit of how do I say 
brotherhood and sisterhood of the trail where you help mm. each other out and, and such. But, you know, the, what, what drew me to the tour divide was, you know, the fact that it, it was just so daunting. And, you know, when I did my first hundred mile race, that was Leadville the first time. And just to complete it seemed so overwhelming and so daunting, but I wanted to, I wanted to challenge myself and was fortunate enough to do so. And then it's kind of like a, what's next, right? And you want to, mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. something that's so, like, just so wonderful that you want more of it. And sometimes you want to be challenged a little more. And, and Leadville became a race for me, and that was a challenge. But to finish it wasn't a challenge. And so then I pushed on to do La Ruta and, and uh, I did a rod and uh, um, Arrowhead and things that were like, they scare you a little bit. I mean, and there's a lot of danger and there's some things that, so that, you know, then I looked at the Tour Divide for a lot of years and always wanted to do it. But the challenge was, you know, that, that takes a huge commitment, not just physically, emotionally, time-wise cost, you know, preparation and such, but um, you need to have a, who, who has a month that, you know, so rarely we have a month that we can just check out from life. Right. That's, right. that's what I did, Steve, for 25 and a half days and really the days leading up to it and the days to get home, it was a month. And uh, I punched out from life and my responsibilities elsewhere to be able to, you know, kind of selfishly be able to do this, this event. But, you know, there's some, some things that, um, happened to me that I was given really, I think, um, I think by, by an act of God that I was given the opportunity to get, um, a summer off from work and, uh, to be able to, you know, I, um, it was my wife's idea that I said, you know, well, looks like I'm going to have a summer off here. And, and, and my wife said, she's, why don't you do the tour divide? You've been talking about that. And it's always been a bucket list for you. So, you know, here we are today talking about it, but, uh, you know, that's that I just never, it's, there are things that we, in our lives, we talk about, you know, big goals that they're kind of, it's fun to have goals and it's fun to just have goals. You know, it kind of gets, keeps you motivated, kind of keeps you always thinking about what's next or what could be next. And sometimes they don't ever come to fruition, but this was one that, came to play that I was given the opportunity. And, and uh, like I said, it was, it was overwhelming to, to take on, but um, certainly so rewarding in so many ways. Yeah. What a, what a cool experience that you could take that time and actually go and do it. Um, Can I've been fortunate in my life to know some people who have done some pretty amazing things like what you just did. A good friend of my dad's, he built a rowboat, um, and that was not the amazing part. <laughs> then he rode from Africa all the way across to Jamaica, uh, oh one man rowboat and became the oldest person to do that. I think he did it at, uh, 59, 60 years old. And it was, uh, you know, it was a great accomplishment. And one of the things I remember in talking to him when he got home and I said, so, you know, what was it like? And he said, you know, <laughs> honestly, it was beautiful. It was amazing. But there were times where it's just boring and I just had to row and I just had to keep going no matter how big the swells were, no matter what was going on, whether it was rain, you know, wind, I just had to keep rowing and rowing and rowing. I think that's a great um, analogy for life that sometimes we just have to keep, in your case, pedaling regardless of what's going on. Were there days, Ken, that it just felt like you you had to put one foot down and then another foot down to keep pedaling and it may not have been that fun? You know, it's, it's, it's um, funny that you mentioned that. And, you know, I brought your, your earbuds and had a whole playlist of music loaded up. And mm. I listened to zero songs on the trail. So <laughs> hey, awesome. There, there, there are other things I've done that, you know, where you're, you're riding across snowy lakes and rivers in Alaska, where after a while, like all the trees look the same and you're going yeah. really three miles an hour and, and you need a little pick me up with some music or a podcast or whatever. But yeah. um, on, on the Tour Divide, I list, like I said, I listen to music and I didn't even have a desire 
like a couple mornings I was going to play some music to try to get everyone up in the morning because I was kind of the cheerleader uh rah-rah in the morning getting everyone rolling but um besides that there was so there was so much for me to think about and so much for me to see and hear and be a part of I just didn't want to miss a sound I didn't mm. want to miss a crack of a stick with potentially an elk running behind me or um also I will say um <clears throat> we're in bear country for a good 1500 miles of the race mm, so I wanted point. to be aware yeah. of what the heck was around me yeah, um, yeah but just the sights the sights and the sounds I really didn't want to miss out on and uh you know there when I got bored uh or kind of like in a in a mode where I just kind of drifted off I like I, I might fall back and and be thankful to God or be thankful to my family or think about like life things, you know, life lessons and such. But then also I, I really would, um, ch- we'd have really good talks like with the guys I was riding with. And um, as I mentioned on my race resume, I'm a little chatty on the trail and, and I, I really wanted to get some people that I didn't know very well that I was riding with. I wanted to hear about their lives and and kind of tell me about how you met your wife or tell me, you know, there's some, you know, you know, you're interviewing me on, on, on some of these cool events, but I'm one of hundreds of people that I think are even more interesting than I am in terms of some really cool <laughs> climbing, you know, Denali and, and Acampagua and um, right. Everest and, you know, touring and, and doing, crazy like walks you know like the one one gentleman i was riding with he was he was doing a um he did a hike for 128 days you know by himself you know solo so it was fun just to hear people's stories or about jobs where i don't know where they were you know building pools or you know just fun stories about their lives so you know it was fun just to connect with people and just hear about and I really didn't want to talk about me. I just kind of quizzed them for hours on end, maybe kind of just to be stimulated and, and um, entertained, if you will. And you've always been like that. I think that's something that you and I have in common where we love to hear about other people's stories. And and uh, and I'm grateful that you're coming on and telling your story because I know that generally you're the guy that likes to ask the question. So <laughs> it's great to have you telling your story. Um, it sounds like you had a great tribe of, of guys with you on the trail, but you've also got a great tribe in your life that's very supportive. You mentioned before your family supports you. I know that your church is a cor- cornerstone in everything that you do. Talk about the power of a tribe when it comes to a accomplishing all of these massive goals that you set oh i mean it's it's everything in in a word in that um really i think um in our lives um we have to be multi-dimensional and um you know i think of every 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 person every group everything that supports you gives you another leg on your chair, on your stool, if you will. And, um, you know, my, my family and some of the bike community and, you know, just random people that I've worked with in the past and, and, you know, all the things that all the, all the support I received, you know, going into it and the good lucks and the well wishes. Um, and then just the random text messages that I get, you know, at the, at the most unique places at the top of a mountain at 12,000 feet or, you know, Mm. you know, connections were, were pretty spotty, but you know, that really propelled me at times, you know, it kept you going, you know, not that I would ever had ever considered giving up, but it just made me want to be not to disappoint people, you know, not to let anyone down. Um, and, and really know that, you know, we were, we had a spot tracker. So everyone knew where I was, how fast I was going. It wasn't always accurate, um, you know, to the specific time, time, timeline, but um, it it was a, it was a motivation, but yet an awareness that I, I had so many people following me and and supporting me that I just didn't want to let them down. And it really empowered me to, to be my best and to, um, find find another gear sometimes, and uh, you know find find a way to to get through the the tough times. 
Yeah, the support really helps you to dig a little bit deeper at times and find another emotional level yeah. and give you some energy. Uh, Ken, last question before I jump into some rapid fires. I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is that uh, in addition to being a beast out on the trail, um, I mean, you are uh, really one of the most kind and magnanimous people that I know. Talk to me about where your humility comes from and how you foster it. Well, you know, um, that's a that's a good question. And, you know, um, I, I really look at... Um, we about life is deposits and withdrawals. And um, I always like to have in every moment I have to make a deposit. And, uh, you know, we have opportunities, all of us have opportunities in our day to do more, to be kind to others, whether it's making eye contact or smiling um, in the nonverbals, but thanking people and appreciating people for what what they do, whether it's someone checking you out at a gas station or um, whatever it might be. Um, I just find joy and gratitude and really helping other people feel good about themselves and hopefully be a high spot for their day. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to screw up her quote, but Barbara Bush, you know, is, has many famous, famous quotes, but, you know, she mentioned something about the the measure of our lives is not our accomplishments and our accolades and, and awards that we've been presented, but the true measure of our lives is how we treat others, mm. you know, and how we, uh, you know, whether it be people that of are really no meaning to the, our day sometimes that we see, they really are. And you have a chance to really, leave it leave a leave a footprint on people and it's something i get a little choked up about and it's something that i really think is important because it has for me has been so rewarding personally but it's always paid off in the fact that if you ever need um to make a withdrawal that i've got so so much deposited throughout my life that um if and when and i try to not use that, make those withdrawals. But you know, you always have someone that can support you when, when you're down and when you need something, you know. Yeah. And you certainly become very wealthy as well in that way. Yeah. I love that. Well, Ken, I want to shift real quick. We are coming up close to our time. I want to shift to some rapid fire questions. So the oh. rapid fire section, it's just uh, whether it's one word answer or one sentence answer to these questions. So are you ready to go? Let's go. All right. So best memory from the tour divide. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it has to be rapid fire. Um, just the camaraderie and just the kindness and, and, and love I experienced. Awesome. Biggest challenge from the tour divide. The weather. Okay. Uh, best dad moment or moments from the past year. Could be two. Oh gosh. Cause I know you got two girls. Can I, can I have two? Um, you can have two. Having having Zoe surprise me on the course, and um, being able to now that I'm home, uh, wake surf in the mornings with my with my surfing buddy Ruby. Love it. So let's Just talk disruption. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let's talk disruption. So how do you disrupt your life in order in order to spark new growth? Just set set goals that scare you that the challenge you love it. And last one, as you've evolved in life, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Um, I think it goes back to that, that, that conversation we had about my faith in humanity. I, I mean, I used Beautiful. to think that I used to think that there was so much hate and and separation in our, in our, in our country. And now I know that not to be the case. Beautiful. I love that. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest, Ken Zilstra, for joining us today. We've had a great conversation, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. So, Ken, you're always doing some really cool things. What's the best way for people to continue to follow your amazing evolution? Oh, 
Um, you follow me on, on Instagram, KZilstra3, or Facebook, um, Ken Zilstra. Um, or, you know, reach, you know, reach. I, I love to help people find new ways to challenge themselves. So, you know, DM me if you'd like. And, and uh, I love to, I love to inspire other people and, and also be inspired by their, your challenges. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks, Ken. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. It's been an honor to have this conversation with you. I always love talking to you, but wow, what a what an inspiration you are, uh, all the amazing things that you've done, and what a great guy that you are. Uh, so folks, hey, do me a favor. Don't wait. Uh, go smash the stars or ratings or whatever it is on whatever app you're listening to us on. It helps us to get more amazing guests like Ken to come onto the podcast and really helps us out. Uh, also, follow us on uh, Instagram at evolve underscore cast and go to evolve-cast.com to see all of the great things going on and our new clothing line that we drop constantly. Remember that it takes time to and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. You're fantastic, but now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.